Evening, everybody. Wow. What a year. A deeply unpopular president with discussion in Congress about impeachment. Tensions simmering on racial issues that are dividing the country. Regional conflicts where whole portions of the country are at odds with other parts of the country. Uncertainty in our economics. What a year. Of course, I'm talking about the year 1868. In 1868, the Civil War was only a few years resolved. Andrew Johnson was president, having taken over after the assassination of Lincoln. He was vice president then, became president. He was leading the reconstruction of the country, and there was a lot of division, and there was an attempt to have him impeached by Congress that failed by one vote. We had millions of freed slaves, and the country was divided. People were divided over how to incorporate these freed men and women into society. The North and South were still at odds with one another, not in armed conflict, but the conflict was still real. And the nation's economy was was struggling. The reason I bring up 1868 is because that's the year that a young pastor from Holy Trinity Episcopal Church in Philadelphia wrote a now-beloved Christmas carol called O Little Town of Bethlehem. His name was Phillips Brooks. He was a great patriot. He's got a fascinating story. If you ever want to Google him and read it for yourself, there's a statue of him now in Boston where he ended up. But in 1867, Phillips Brooks had gone to Palestine to visit the Holy Lands, and while he was there, he and his comrades rode by horseback to see Bethlehem. And as part of that story, he and his friends were on the hillside outside of Bethlehem where they believed that the shepherds would have been when the angel appeared to them. And as he looked down on that scene and began to put together the words to this song, I'm sure he must have had these two things in mind. The hope that was born in that little village some 2,000 years ago And at the same time, the fears, both then and the fears that he was living with in his day about his situation, about his country. That must have been going through his mind as he wrote the last sentence of the the first stanza of that great hymn. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
Every generation has reason to fear. Wars and famine and illness and economic strife and concern and moral decay and racial tensions, every generation has its reasons to fear. Every one of us, every human being, has his and her own reasons to fear. Health reasons and job reasons and family reasons. We all have reasons to fear. So Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Fear is real. And it's a part of the Christmas story. As I've been reading it over the uh, last several weeks, I noted the number of times in the story surrounding the birth of Jesus, how many times the words were spoken, do not fear, do not fear. Those shepherds, when they were watching their flocks, And an angel appeared to them. The angel spoke those words to those shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Great joy. There is always fear. But the shepherds were bringing a reason for hope. We're kind of partial to that word hope around here. But not the kind of hope that is talked about so often in our culture. When we hear the words hope spoken in in our lives, in our experience most days, it's kind of a wishful thinking of fingers crossed. I hope things go well. I hope this happens or that doesn't happen. I hope I win. You know, it's, it's wishful thinking. But the kind of hope that is talked about in Scripture, the kind of hope that is represented in Christmas, is a different kind of hope. It's the word elpidzo, and it means expectancy. Something that is going to happen, it just hasn't happened yet. The promised Messiah had come. Hope had been born. But it isn't really a baby that we celebrate. It's the birth, of course, but really what we're celebrating on these evenings every year is the birth of the Messiah, the Savior of God, God among us, Emmanuel, God in human flesh, who brings us hope. In his ministry, Jesus talked about the hope that he brings He talked about life. He said, I have come that you might have new life. I have come that you might experience abundant life. I come that you might have eternal life. That's the hope that Jesus brings. The hope that in him, through faith in him, that we find forgiveness for our sins, for all of those ways that we miss the mark with a holy, perfect God. And Jesus covers our sin, pays the price for our sin, so that we are made right with God and we have this new life, no longer tethered by sin and death, but free to become the men and women that God dreams for us to be. It's a new life. 
And Jesus said, I've come that you might have abundant life. And this abundant life and what that looks like, it's not a life of abundance. That's not what he was talking about. It's not a perpetual Christmas where you're getting stuff. Not that kind of abundance. It's abundance of the things that we most long for in our lives. The Apostle Paul, in a letter to the church in Galatia, talked about the abundance of life that comes through Christ in this way. He said that, that the Spirit of Christ living in you produces fruit, and that fruit looks like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are being grown in the life of those who follow Jesus. The abundant life. And then we have the promise of eternal life. That we are not merely a conglomeration of biology and chemistry here by some cosmic accident. That we were created by God for eternity. And we have the hope and the promise of eternal life in him. That's the hope that we have. And I have seen this hope lived out in the lives of hundreds of people in my own experience, maybe more. I know a lot of people. It might be thousands of people. There's one who comes to mind who's been on my mind uh, in this season a friend of mine who three years ago was diagnosed with a kind of cancer of the bones. I actually met him about 12 years earlier. And when I first met him, he was a guy that there were, there were two things about him. One, that he was crushing it in terms of his professional life. He had started a business that was doing very well. He was very successful and had all of the, the uh, trinkets that come along with that kind of economic success. But at the same time, his personal life was imploding, and he was looking for a reason for hope. And so he and I began to get together and have conversations, and somewhere along the line, He decided to be a follower of Jesus. And he began to trust Jesus with his life and to follow Jesus. And it was so exciting in those early days as he was beginning to get what it is about. And he, he loved to say, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's not religion, it's relationship. And that relationship with God began to grow. He began to read the Bible, and he got really interested in the Bible. And uh, so I asked him at one point, I said, you know, there's a, there's a small group of guys I'm inviting to, to be in a Bible study with me. I'd like you to be a part of it. It's going to be on uh, every other Saturday at 8.30. And he said, in the morning? Saturday morning? I said, yeah, come on. It's only every other week. So reluctantly he agreed, and, and this group of guys would meet every other Saturday in the morning. And their relationship began to grow, and their understanding of the Bible began to grow. And, and over the next six or eight months, he came to me and he said, this Bible study isn't working out. I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're not meeting often enough. We should be meeting every week. I said, that's great. You guys go ahead. I'm not doing that. 
And they did. He went on a mission trip and had a transforming kind of experience on this mission trip. He came home and he began to serve. He served, uh, well, he was, he was leading other Bible studies at this point, and he, he decided that he wanted to uh, work with students, and so he was a small group leader of a group of high school boys. And then he began to do the same kind of thing in Camden with a group of boys there. And his influence just grew. He was having back pain, and I happened to be in the hospital with him when the doctor came in to deliver the news that he had multiple myeloma. And over the next three years, we watched as his body began to break down. But his spirit grew stronger and stronger. He spent a fair amount of time in the hospital that last year of his life. And every time I would go to visit him, there'd be a line of people outside of his door. One of the guys in the Bible study told me that he went to visit him and he was uh, at the desk, you know, signing in at the uh, desk at the hospital and the woman behind the desk said, can I, can I ask you a question about him? He said, sure. Is he famous? Because there's always people. I'm just, should I know him? I went to see him the week that he died to serve him communion. And I was setting up the communion set on the little tray by his bed. And as I was setting up, I said, so how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing okay. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, really? How are you doing? And he looked me in the eye and he said, I've never asked the question, why me? And I know where I'm going, so I'm okay. That is hope. That is life. So there is always reason to fear. All of us can point to things for which we can be afraid. The question this evening is, what is your hope? What is your hope? The angel appeared to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy that is for everybody. To you tonight, is born a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. That is why we celebrate tonight.